Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and favorite app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Go to SeatGeek.com slash BS to start using SeatGeek, especially with baseball season coming up. A lot of tickets available. Don't forget to download the free SeatGeek app and a promo code BS. SeatGeek sends you $20 upon your first purchase. Today's episode is also brought to you by Simply Safe. There's no better way to protect your home. Remember, any home security that says it's free has a huge contract and conditions attached. Simply Safe has no long-term contracts and the best 24/7 protection possible for just $15 a month. Visit simplysafebill.com to get my 10% off discount. simplysafebill.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by my new website, The Ringer. Don't forget to subscribe to our upcoming newsletter at The Ringer. Com. Here we go. Yeah. Clearing up for you. All right. All right. We have a action-packed BS podcast today. We have a little bit later, Wesley Morris is coming up to talk more about the Oscars. And Robert Mays, my old Grantland buddy, is at the NFL Combine, wherever the hell that is. And he's going to call in to tell us what actually happens at the NFL Combine. Right now, our old friend, Cousin Sal, because uh, for a lot of reasons, but mainly because we like betting. And the Oscars is on Sunday. And it, unfortunately, Sal, it's like everybody has too much information now and who's going to win, and there are no fun bets to make. Are there any fun bets to make with the Oscars? No, there are no fun bets to make. I'll talk to you in September. No, 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 <laughs> no there are a couple. <laughs> I know, you're right, though. It stinks because everything, you know, the main categories are, what, six of them, and I count. Four is runaways, really. Maybe maybe three is runaways, but um, this is going to be the first thing I'm betting on in three weeks, and I'm very very proud of myself since the Super Bowl ended. I know, and well, we it's and, really a way to win. Yeah, and uh, February is always a sad month for you. You go in a funk. It's a little like yeah. uh, a little like the Revenant after Leo kind of works himself out of the physical state he was in and realizes his adopted son has been murdered and he's just trying to rally back. That's how I think of you in February. You're just trying to rally Thank back. You. That's good. That's a good comparison. I guess we should uh, have a blanketed spoiler alert for all these movies uh, ahead of time because <laughs> we're gonna have to have to discuss some of the plots, right? You know, we're but, we're in the office this week at the Ringer and. Uh, trying to figure out why all of these bets are runaway bets and why there's no mystery anymore with who's going to win. And I think it's partly because of the internet and how sophisticated everyone is with a, all kinds of stuff ranging from Rotten Tomatoes to the reviews to like Academy members leaking information or whatever. People have these models that if they hear different small samples of who's going to win, then they actually know who's going to win. But I would have thought the Leo thing wasn't such a slam dunk because I thought Matt Damon was great in The Martian, and yet Leo's a slam dunk. It's over. It's done. Yeah, he was really good. He is right now minus ten thousand. So, <laughs> and he he won everything. And really, like more than everything, it's it's like these these numbers are predicted based on the other awards, the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs, the yes. PGA's, SAG, and all that. So you know. Someone come up, come up with and say, 14 out of the last 15 Golden Globe uh, supporting actors have won, or whatever it might be. So then that that's what makes it a slam dunk. But um, and then Brie yeah, Larson, I mean, you know, Brie Larson too, yeah, right? She's right. like 40 to yeah, one. She's, she's minus 4,000. She's she's already won six awards. Yeah, and I don't know. It's, uh, 
you know, for Leo for actor, uh, I like Damon. Damon's on the board at 60 to one right now. He's not going to win, but, um, I, I just think Leo, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I didn't buy that movie. He chased a guy. He was dead. And he didn't chase the guy in the snow and show the guy left footprints, but he, he never would have caught up with the guy. And you know what? He didn't catch up with the guy. The real story is that he never caught the guy. So, <laughs> That's true. I don't, the guy I don't came know back. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> He's still out there. He's still out there. And the Revenant, I think because the brown bear is the only actor of color uh, kind of recognized <laughs> that the Revenant is going to win. Revenant is minus 220. I would say I would say take that. Spotlight is plus 220. The Revenant won the Golden Globe and the BAFTA. Spotlight won SAG. But um, between those two, you like the Revenant or Spotlight? Well... There's a whole scenario. Like, if The Revenant isn't going to win Best Picture, you could talk me in a whole scenario where The Revenant just gets shut out and more people didn't like this movie than maybe uh, the general public thinks. So you could say, right. oh, I still think The Big Short at plus 500 is a viable bet because I think just the way the Academy is and how many different pictures there are, it's almost like with the Republican nomination where you need a lesser right. percentage of the vote to win. And mm -hmm. if... You know, it, let's say 30% of the people voting like just love the big short. It just hit them in their whole liberal, I hate what happened in the economy wheelhouse. And maybe right. that's enough. They don't tell us what the votes are, which drives me crazy. But it might only take 30% to win. So let's say a lot of people didn't like The Revenant. Then that might mm -hmm. open the door for Damon. But I don't know. Those odds are so crazy. That makes me think there's no reason to even talk about it. Yeah. Well, they do have those uh, prop bets. Uh, over under six and a half potatoes made out of Damon species uh, that he tosses at Leo while turning. <laughs> I think I, I go over. I don't know how many could fit in those tuck pockets. But, That's not really uh, a bet. I bet. I think you made that up. What? What about Eddie Redmayne wearing a yellow dress? Eight to one. I like that. Well, the most intriguing. So. The, <laughs> the most intriguing Oscar subplot now is. The tragic death of Tony Burton last night. Uh, uh, and now, he de first of all, he doesn't get to see Sly, who has, he's basically a five to one favorite to win Best Supporting Actor. Right. I don't think anyone would have enjoyed that more than Tony Burton. I mean, in Russia, Tony Burton really kept Sly alive during those dark days before Adrian finally flew her ass out there. Don't, 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 You're we'll right. never forget how selfish she was with that whole thing. Just let Rocky fly by himself. <laughs> right. And what the kids watch on TV, we, we have to assume pay-per-view. Uh, it's established that Rocky's either going to uh, die in this fight or come very close. But the kids are watching and they have friends over. So that was, yeah, that no, was great. Too. No babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole no. thing was ludicrous. But Tony Burton played Duke, who was Apollo Creed's right. trainer in Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. And then in Rocky 3, Stallone goes to L.A. to kind of get the Eye of the Tiger back. And... And that's Duke and, and Apollo basically train him with Polly, who for some reason at that point was in the corner, even though he was a lifelong <laughs> drunk. He was a lifelong drunk. <laughs> hey, Polly, will you fix uh, Rocky's eye? Uh, I, I can't. I'm drunk right now. Uh, and then in Rocky Four, Apollo dies. And now it's really just Duke. And, that, and Duke had yeah. some great scenes, the cabin scene, which I tweeted last night when he did the, Apollo is like a son to me. And when mm -hmm. Apollo died, part of me died too. But now you're the one. That's that's my voice doing the Duke speech. 
Uh, that is great. Thank you. That is great. And now he dies. I, when, and when, yeah, I feel bad. When I Tony Burton. I always thought Duke. I always thought Duke should have taken it out on Rocky a little more. The fact that we're just throwing the damn towel. Yeah. From that to all right, I'm going to Russia with you. I'm committed to you. It's like yeah, Apollo was his boy, and and, and Rocky let him die right there. Very That's scary. true. Yeah. First of all. Rocky totally choked. I mean, let's be honest. It was a yeah. choke job. He was holding the towel for an extra 12 seconds while, while, yeah. <laughs> while Drago's just holding Carl Weathers by, by the throat and just punching him in the face. Mm-hmm. But um, when you think about it, like Cliffhanger comes out, I think, seven years later. And the guy in Cliffhanger at the beginning takes his girlfriend on this ridiculous hike where they end up on some triangle mountain at the top of it. I don't even know how they got up there. And somehow she doesn't right. know how to climb. And they have to get this whole helicopter up there to help <laughs> save this woman who doesn't know how to climb. And they have to put this thing in and there's this rope and you got to slide across this crevasse uh, on this rope, which she didn't know how to do. And she's nervous. And all of a sudden her equipment's falling and and she's about to fall to her death. The boyfriend's just sitting there. He's on the other mountain. Right. He's safe. He's like, no, no, the rope can't support two people. It's like your girlfriend's going to fall to death. Sly Stallone <laughs> goes out there, shimmies out to try to save her. He's holding on, and she fall in, in the glove, and she falls to her death. And the guy's he bitter. The bad guy. Yeah, the other guy's yeah. bitter about it, and he's he's still mad right. about it months and months later. So like, I didn't see you on the fucking rope. And then, right, seven years earlier, Sly actually did kill Apollo, and Duke forgave him, and that's why Tony Burton is yeah. a great man. Exactly, he had the anger in uh, in in. And uh, yeah, that that Tony Burton should have had. Yeah, Tony the, Burton the should. Have, you're right. He Tony Burton should have been much angrier. If especially if right. Apollo was like a son to him. Hmm. In fact, I think Duke didn't watch the movie because uh, you know he said he was sick, but uh, I don't think he likes Sly Stallone for what happened. I'm getting confused now. What's real? <laughs> uh, so wait a second. So but they have. They have. Well, go ahead. What were you saying? Well, basically, if you think the Revenant's going to sweep. With the, the three major awards, which are Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Movie. Uh, mm-hmm. In a Ratu is, uh, is minus 1,000. So 1,000 right. went 100 on him. Leo, it's like and 91. He won the DGA. He won the Director's Guild Award. So he's that, that's a, a telltale sign that he'll probably win the Oscar. Yeah. But you could bet the a sweep. I, I don't even think that would help you get to even odds with the, Re- with the Revenant because the Revenant's minus 220. And uh, are we sure there's no with uh, with the Martian where Ridley Scott didn't get nominated? There's no Argo potential with that. Just for a director? Oh well, no, he's not. He's not up to director. No, you, but that's you my mean, point. Just for the Martian. Yeah, but I'm saying like, remember, Affleck didn't get nominated for director. Right. Everybody kind of took it personally, and then all of a sudden, Argo won Best Picture. It was like, oh well, here's Affleck didn't get nominated, but here's your you you won the real trophy. There's no chance of that right, with the Martian. I think, was, I think Argo was supposed to win, right? I think it was still a favorite. And Martian's a hundred to one. That would that, that would there would be nothing like it if that happened. Like sometimes before the Golden Globes, it'll start off at a hundred to one, and then something will happen to the Golden Globes, and it'll go down to like eight okay. to one. So really, a hundred to one at this point. So really, it's spotlight at plus two hundred or the Big Short at plus five hundred. I still think the Big Short could sneak in there. I think it's worth the bet. You think so, huh? Yeah, five to one. Right. Why not? It'd be really fun if it won. Can you see? Uh, All right. Every like, there's got to be some shocker every year in the Oscars. Something surprising happens. Is it, is it possible Sly doesn't win? 
Yeah, it is. It, it's a weird thing because they say the SAG Award is the, is the indicator for this, and Idris Elba won the SAG Award for Best Supporting Actor, Ooh. and he's not going not gonna to win for this. Uh, Sly won, what, the Golden Globes and Critics' Choice. I don't know. I, I, I don't I don't like that for just five guys. I mean it's fine, but I don't that that's the only competition, right? And the best supporting actor, he's four to one. What about Tom Hardy in the Revenant? He's fifteen to one. Thought that was just too high. I thought Christian Bale was actually the best. I, I want Sly to win, but Christian Bale was out of his mind that in the big short. He's twenty five to one. I uh I I mean this is just me, but I thought uh, Paul Walker was amazing in Fast 7, especially with the CGI. Oh. And uh, the yeah, most right. emotional ending of the year. I mean, Fast 7, uh, the Fast and Furious movies, they just get cut out every year. This year was mm-hmm. especially egregious because the Wiz Khalifa song at the end, mm-hmm. which which also became one of the three most popular songs of the year, was so effective with how they used it. I saw that, that movie... Great. Grantling was still alive. We saw that movie. It was me, Rafe Bartholomew, Dave Schilling, and Mark Lasanti, four dudes. And we're sitting in mm-hmm. this crowded theater. And after that ended, none of us could look at each other. Where It was like super dusty. Really, like legitimately really? dusty. Oh, yeah. Rafe, I've never seen Rafe get emotional before. And Rafe was like, he was really <laughs> choked up. And, uh, and wow. not even nominated. He's going to get emotional. When Sly wins, he's going to get emotional. You'll see. It should have a camera on it. So, is it? Are there props for whether Sly will remember to thank a black person during his speech or no? <laughs> there is an over under eight and a half words you'll be able to understand in his uh, acceptance speech. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's also even odds that Talia Shire is seen screaming at him on the red carpet. You can't win. Uh, oh, that's <laughs> the pre Oscar show. She. They should cut to her. <laughs> You're gonna do it. What was that in Rocky Three? Did they cut to her or Rocky Four? On them? the beach. You're gonna no. Yeah, when yeah. he was about to oh. lay, do the final knockout blow, you're gonna do oh. it. It was like the one of the right, worst right, cutaways. Right. <laughs> oh man! There is a step in the one odds as he's uh, making his acceptance speech. Mister T yells, "Hey fool, you ready for another beating? <laughs> you should have never come back." That is, you know, if Mister T crashed the Oscar speech, that would be one of the funniest meta moments in the history of pop culture, right? If he just started walking through, with the feather earrings and the uh, angry look on his face, it would be a great cutaway in the front row. <laughs> Get that white kid! Come on, Stallone. <laughs> yeah, I like flying this. I think. I, I mean. Here's the here's the movie that I think is, is going to get screwed. I think that director for Mad Max should win. I mean, he's five to one. I think it's George Miller. Yeah, I mean, that movie. That's the best movie with zero plot that I've ever seen. I think, and it's going to win five other awards for like makeup, sound editing, costume, film editing, but not any of the big ones. I mean, it's like a, a two and a half hour video game. I needed three nights to watch it on on cable uh, last week. I, I know really like that movie. It was excellent, and it's really distinct. I thought that was the cool. Yeah. I've never seen a movie like it. I watched. I showed my son like ten minutes of it, and he got him so amped up. He got his forty pound MMA dummy and was just like jumping off the couch on it. And so I was like, "All right, this is a bad idea." He lost his. I mind. was just gonna say you should show your son. He he would love. He would love it. And I don't think it's uh, there's a ton of profanity, or maybe there is. I can't remember, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of like Avatar was. I mean, it, it should it should get a little more respect than it is. It's eighty to one for best picture and what's interesting is almost all the critics had it as one of like their best three or four movies and just was mm-hmm. like this is amazing this is one of the best movies there some people had it as their best movie there right so 
I'm like, uh, for my upset, and I'll go with you on Big Short if you want. Maybe maybe there is an anti-revenant thing for that night. I'm going Kate Winslet, 3-1 to one for uh, for Jobs. Thought she was good. Alicia, what's her name, Rick Hander? Danish girl. She's the favorite at minus 280. But I think, uh, I don't know, Kate Winslet won the Golden Globes and the Baptists, and, and, and they like her. She, she, that could be a good a steal at 3-1. to one. That's a good one. I might, I might yeah. join you on that one. Let's I like do it. it. Not- and a little something about Alicia Vikander. Here's a little something juicy. Um, our cousin Jimmy Kimmel was accused of having a crush on her by his wife uh, when she came on the show. Oh, when and, was uh, that? Jimmy denied it. It was probably about three weeks ago. Jimmy denied it, but uh, we later found out he worked out that morning. So uh, it's up in the air. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. It's good. How many? What is the? Uh, what's the list of? See, if I had a late night show like that, my wife would be constantly accusing me of, of, of things like that. <laughs> just like, especially in the HD, and just like there's one little smile goes the wrong way. Oh, I caught that. What is that? I don't know how he deals with it. You should have for your HBO show. Your first three guests would be like all hot shit. Should be Megan Fox, just Alicia Vikander, <laughs> wife from Homeland. What's the name? Brody's wife from Homeland. Oh, be- <laughs> that would be too obvious. Hey, Monica Macker and Carrie Washington, my wife would be on that one. <laughs> what the hell is he doing? What kind of show is this? <laughs> Just all, all all hot female guests. That'd be great. That's a just, great game plan. Just be defiant about it. Just, just be like, I know what I'm doing. Why? I know what I'm doing. I've worked out the research. <laughs> We're trying to get more female viewers. Exactly. Uh, uh, hey, um... Last thing about Room, I mean, it seems like yeah. Brie Larson is, there's no way she's not going to win. And yet when I described this movie to you like three months ago on our podcast, on our Monday football podcast, you thought it yeah. was one of the movies that we made up. I did think it was fake. Yeah. You you kept I, waiting I also, for the punchline. And I was like, no, this is actually the movie. This was the plot. She was great. The kid. The kid should maybe be in the best supporting. He'd be best supporting. He was fantastic. It drove me crazy. He didn't cut his hair for as long as he did. But I mean, that, I think that's the single most cringeworthy scene. Uh, spoiler alert of all the movies when he's in that in that car uh, trying to get out. Yeah, but, it was great. I I agree with you that when when he when that kid's in the car, that was yeah. Um, you just, I can't, I didn't see it in the theater. I can't even imagine what people were like in the theater during that scene. Cause you're right. like literally squirming yeah. in your seat. Like you can't handle it. It was oh, good. It was terrible. I, it was the best case scenario too, but, uh, it, it was, it was terrible <laughs> to watch that. Yeah. The good news for, uh, Brie Larson is if she can mm-hmm. just get through this speech without pulling an Anne Hathaway on us, Amanda Dobbins at, at the ringer was, is worried that there's, some slight Anne Hathaway potential with the Brie Larson speech and is very preemptively worried about the backlash. Of, what, how so? What do you think she's going to say? Well, if you remember, like it can really go wrong with the Oscar speech. If people don't like it, it can kind of set the tone for the next couple of years of how people feel about you. You know, like Anne, 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 Hath- Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. Anne Hathaway really didn't do anything other than she busted her ass and was in a bunch of great roles and worked really mm-hmm. hard. And people are like, Oh, she, She's so full of herself. And it was a lot of it had to do with just that Oscar speech. So yeah. Brie Larson just needs to get in and out. That would be my advice. Just be very gracious Maybe and just get out. Too. Yeah. 
Well, she's... Like, I know I was minus 4,000 to win this award, <laughs> but I really never thought I was going to win this award. So just thank you. Please thank you, everybody. And uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Like something like that. Yeah. I, that's what I would do. Or go the other way and go full Donald Trump and just be like, I knew I had this category. These other wait- these other actresses suck. They're just terrible. <laughs> of course you I guys like are going to vote for me. I, I like that you call them other waitresses. I mean, that's, that's the meaning. That's waitresses. <laughs> They're not actresses. They didn't have a chance. <laughs> Trump's Trump's whole strategy, it's really like the internet has come to life as a political candidate. It's totally it's yeah. like it's like these are Twitter insults, but yet he's on a stage <laughs> debating to be the Republican nominee. It's it's really an interesting you know, game plan. I'm, I'm I'm laughing, but we have Rubio at six to one. Yeah. And that was gonna that was gonna dig us out of some of our bad NBA bets. Yeah. And freaking Trump is almost a lock now. What the hell happened? <laughs> this is really happening? Like and you know, it can't be. You know what's sad is I almost emailed you or texted you a couple of days ago about Trump was like minus 125. And I was like, should we just get out? Just, just, just hedge, yeah. just hedge Rubio. And I just would have felt like such a bad person putting anything on Donald Trump. I'd yeah, almost rather just lose the money, right? You just, at that point, you just rather lose. Just fine. Well, Take I my money. Talk you, I want to maybe talk to you. He's minus 360 now. Unbelievable. For a Republican. But, but, Hillary Clinton is minus 140 for the whole shebang. And whether you like her or not, that's that's the hedge against Trump, right? Yeah, except that doesn't help us with our Rubio bet. No, we'll lose that, but then he can't beat her, right? No, I, th- I, going on? I think Clinton, I think at some point everyone's going to reconcile their feelings about um, Hillary Clinton. It, uh, Obama's old speechwriter wrote a really good piece today on the Daily Beast about... Um, Clinton kind of reevaluating, hey guys, like let's seriously start thinking about here are all the good things that she's done. I, I think um as Trump I mean Rubio had kind of Trump on the ropes yesterday. It was, it was so yeah, did they, you watch it? He kind of went at him. Out. He had to. He had to. It was good. It yeah. was he didn't he didn't feel like uh like a robot totally. He actually was kind right. of thinking on his feet a little bit. I was excited. All right, so our right. recommendations are um Kate Winslet at plus 300. Mm-hmm. And then a smaller kind of feeler out bet, maybe on big short plus 500, you think? I would do that. I think it's down to 400, but um, yeah. Yeah, it's still, it's still good. And the others are kind of untouchable. Man, and I like that George Miller for Mad Max, but it's just not going to happen. What about, does Sly mention Tony Burton during his speech? <laughs> you know what? He should. He should. I really hope he remembers it, right? He should. Are you gonna are you gonna get choked up during Sly's speech? I might. I might start punching. Remember when he was watching Tommy Gunn win the title in his uh basement of his uh eight thousand dollar house yeah. in Rocky Five? Yeah. And then, and he's like punching the bag as Tommy Gunn, you know, he's like he's working the same combinations Tommy Gunn is on the on the shitty T V they're watching. Right. I might be doing that. I might be doing that. I might be hitting a heavy bag as Sly delivers the, the winning acceptance speech. It was hard to feel bad for Sly in Rocky Five when he accepted no money for Rocky Four for the Drago fight. He received no money. Right. No, this isn't about money. It's like what? What do you yeah. mean this is so? Yeah, who, yeah. Somebody's making money from this fight. They're showing it on television. There's <laughs> no money. You don't want anything. <laughs> hey, how inconvenient can we make this? All right, you'll fight in Russia. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and it'll be on Christmas Day. Right. And, uh, and yeah, and you don't get paid. 
and you might die. Probably going to die. They're like, Rocky, do you want to donate your share to charity? No, this isn't about money. I don't want to help anyone. (laughs) I'm flying to Russia on my own uh, my own checkbook. That movie has a lot of flaws. I'm a stupid man. Yeah. Well, hearts were on fire. That's true. He he totally shed the Russian security going up that fifty eight thousand foot mountain. (laughs) I'll see you guys later. I'm gonna I'm gonna climb to my own death. I'll see you later. <laughs> All right, cuz uh, plug the Oscar special. Uh, yeah, it's going to be our best one, I think. It's Ooh. Uh, Sunday night after the Oscars, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill. Is that Superman? Is that how you say yeah. it? Yeah. Jesse Eisenberg, Tracy Morgan, Mike Tyson, Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick. And uh, also, there's all new mean tweets online right now. Kevin Hartson and George Clooney, Kate Blanchett, Costner, Penn. And hit me up at the Cousin Sal. And I'll see you at WrestleMania. Yeah, we're going to WrestleMania. It's happening. I told uh, I told my son last night that that you and the boys were going, and he lost his mind. He's he's out of, oh, he's out of his mind, and he also wants to see where John F. Kennedy got shot. That was the actual <laughs> quote from him. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy. I want to see where he got shot. I was like, all right, let's do that. We'll go. What's the barbecue? <laughs> That's a whole other conspiracy. Yeah, he's we very. I want to talk to you about. Uh, no, you're getting in Saturday. That Saturday is the final four. Yes. Uh, yes. Maybe we'll maybe we'll be watching Tony Romo's house. Who knows? Oh, our dude. We'll see what we can do. Romo, the next quarterback of the LA Rams. Oh no, <laughs> maybe like three years from now. But yeah. Uh, all right, cool. The cuz. All right, buddy. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Good job by you. Good job by you. All right, we're going to call Wesley Morris for the Oscars, but before we do that, let's talk about Slender Tone. If you're like me, you love exercising, you like walking around, you like playing sports, maybe you don't love going to the gym. I bet you don't like doing sit-ups. Well, get some help with your ab workouts. Use Slender Tone Connect Abs to actively tone and tighten your abs. Slender Tone's abdominal toning belt is controlled via a smart app that creates your own personal training plan. It tracks your workouts. It sends customized tips to keep you motivated. Their EMS technology sends deep pulses that engage your stomach muscles and cause them to flex and contract, just like in regular exercise, giving you a stronger core. Join the 100% of users that reported firmer, more toned abs with real results in six weeks. There's even a money-back guarantee. And just a heads up, if you're having back problems, part of the reason people have back problems is because their stomach muscles aren't strong enough. I found that out the hard way. Got to build up your core. C-O-R-E, your core. Uh, visit slender dot, slendertone.com today. Receive 20% off using offer code BS at checkout. Build your core. Once again, slendertone.com, offer code BS. As promised, uh, my former Grantland colleague, my buddy, Pulitzer Prize winner, movie critic, now culture critic at the New York Times, Wesley Morris, Oscars Sunday. Uh, how excited are you on a scale of 1 to 10? I'm at about five. Five? Okay. Well, it usually, it takes me a few days to get, usually on Sunday morning, I start going through all the possible scenarios, and then I get excited again. I'm in the middle of desperately trying to finish something before I begin my weekend, which is basically going to be me sitting at a desk working on something else. Um, but then, like, every year, Friday, like, uh, Sunday morning, I just get excited. I don't know why, because this year... I mean, officially, I'm not that into these nominees. Like, there are very few categories where I'm actually excited about the outcome. Um, 
And then there's, you know, the the whole thing that's on top of this, the whole thing, which is that the race conversation. What? I'm, what race conversation? I'm, I know, I know. And <laughs> I'm kind of tired of having it, and yet Me I, too. I, I feel like you can't, you can't not have it. But I do have, I have to say, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'd like to actually talk about the nominees, you know? I mean, not that that's, not that we can't do that, but I think that's the thing that's overshadowed this entire procedure in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, let's, I, I don't want to have the race conversation because we already had it six weeks ago and, and it's already been had a million different times. I, I agree with there you. There are, the nominees have, have been overshadowed. Thoughts, Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to say really quickly, my one big thought is some, I, I keep getting asked what, like, well, you know, about Chris Rock, do you think he's going to do a good job? And how do you, how do you, what do you think they're going to do? And I have no idea what they're going to do, but I will say that my favorite hosting job uh, in the last, I don't know, in the post, in the post Billy Crystal era has been Chris Rock. And that show is, was generally deemed at the time a disaster and, and people didn't like it. But part of the reason people didn't like it was because he was dealing with the stuff that is happening right now in 2003 or 2004, whenever that hosting job was. Yep. And that was one of the funniest, realist assaults on that problem and that industry that I've, I've seen. I don't know why they would have invited him to do it. I don't know what they thought he was going to do. But that just speaks to the disconnect between, between aspects of that industry and and reality um but with that said let's move on no no i have i have an additional thought on that because i wanted okay. i wanted to talk about this um, okay yeah the race conversation it's been going on for six weeks to me the most interesting thing going into this oscars other than best picture which is the only one that i don't know who's gonna win yeah me either um chris rock's monologue there's two separate things going on. We were talking about it in the office this week at the ringer. And like, if we had had a website this week, the angle that I thought was sitting there was, I think this, this is the most, first of all, this is the most important Oscars monologue. I think ever. I don't, I don't yes. think, I don't think uh, anything has matched this in terms of expectation, importance, importance of the subject matter, um, how the crowd is going to be receiving it. Initially, there's going to be some nervousness, I think. There's going to be excitement. I think he's going to have to almost win the crowd over at the same time he's excoriating them. How far is mm -hmm. he going to go? Um, who is he going to ridicule? There's all these parts. But then, you know, the thing that I've been really interested in the last couple of weeks is how invested the stand-up comedy community is in this monologue. and. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like this really has a chance to be one of the great moments in stand-up com comedy history. And he's been at all these clubs, you know, in LA, I, I think a little bit in New York too, testing out his act and testing out things. And what's interesting is in the internet era, none of this stuff is coming out. People have been very, very cool about not spoiling the material that he's been trying out, not taping it with their cell phones, not leaking the jokes out because everybody's kind of in on this. This is one of the biggest stand-up comedy moments ever. And mm. for him, if he pulls it off and it's great and it's awesome, this is kind of the last great piece of his career. It's almost like the MJ, you know, when MJ made the shot mm -hmm. against Utah mm -hmm. and then it was like the final piece and like, oh yeah, he's the greatest basketball player ever. Chris Rock's, I think, one of the three or four greatest stand-ups ever. 
But this has a chance to be his defining moment. And that's what that's this other thing that's at stake on top of all these nominations and categories and everything else that's going on. Yes, because I, I mean, to, to, to just like put another point on your point, he also, in a way, I'm not going to say that he needs this, but I also think I do think it's important for him to nail it in, in for him, yes. like not for anybody else. But I mean, this is a guy who. When we, I mean, at least for me, when I thought Obama got it, when Obama got elected, I thought for sure that he would, Chris Rock would keep finding ways to insert himself into all of the crazy fucked up things that were happening in this country, and he'd find ways to comment on them. Yep. Instead, he basically remained silent until that Frank Rich interview in New York Magazine, in which he just let everybody have it, and, and it all came out. Yeah, that was one like of the best. Been, that was one of the best interviews of the last five years. Yes, and you read that, and you were thinking, "Where has this guy been? Where has he been?" Because I, I've never felt like I needed somebody more to channel the exasperation, the infuriation, the the sort of sense of like injustice done on a daily basis to a person who really is just in many ways doing a job and in other ways a symbol in other ways you know a divisive a divisive figure by virtue of his just being president but I, chris rock is somebody who i think better than john stewart in some ways um better than key and peel who i mean there a lot of people got into this and were able to like capture this exasperation but i felt like chris rock was the person who sort of allowed us to be able to talk about this stuff in the way that we are currently talking about it through his comedy 17 years ago, 18 years ago, 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah. He, you know, they, there's this channel on, uh, on the Slacker radio, they have this comedy channel where you, it's actually a channel for anything, but if you like something you hear, you can kind of favorite it. So we've favorited in my car. We favorited the, uh, Eddie Murphy comedy channel. So mm. it's basically what, whatever they had some Eddie Murphy thing. We've, we hearted it. And all this different comedy comes up that's kind of tangentially related to him. And a lot of Chris Rock's younger stuff is on there, which you forget, man. His The OJ stuff he did like 20 years oh ago. Oh, my God. I, that would not fly now. It's, it's really, really out there. He's basically like, you know, Ron Goldman's driving around her Ferrari. And he's like, I don't think he should have killed her. But I understand, you yeah, know, it's like, yeah. one of, it's like people would lose their minds, but you forget he's been pushing the envelope for 20 years and this is kind of the final piece of the envelope pushing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one hopes, I mean, I really hope that he, un I mean, he's got to understand, he clearly understands the, the, the sort of the mess that places in and his position as a sort of facilitator or as like a, like a maintenance person in that mess or like as a person who's just going to like set off a paint bomb and just make more of a mess. I don't know um, what his approach is going to be, but it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. And like, I just been thinking about like where the camera guy is going to like put the cameras during that monologue, you know? Right. Like who's fate, like what, what's Meryl Streep if she goes, like, where is she? <laughs> is she going to, I mean, I don't know. Like, like that's a whole other level of practice that you have to do as an attendee. Like I have to have my Chris Rock monologue face because Brie Larson, Obviously, he's gonna he's gonna come for me. Right. Well, one of the, one of the guys working on my TV show was saying how there, there's this hidden thing with Chris Rock. It's not that hidden, but it's I don't think a lot of people know about it. 
he is like the all-time stand-up connoisseur and is one of those guys like he studied it almost like how like I like I, like how I know the NBA or something like he's mm-hmm. just studied everybody's act he has this insane recollection for like oh yeah Richard Pryor in 1980 blah 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 and He's kind of was weaned on all of this great stand-up with George Carlin and Pryor and Eddie Murphy, like everybody. And his whole life has kind of been leading to this moment, you know? Yeah. And I think there's going to be some apprehension in the first minute. Like what you said, I think people are going to be sitting there going, "Uh uh-oh, is he going to come at me? I'm sure Jennifer Lawrence is going to be feeling that way. Any any white visible actor I think is going to be nervous during the first five minutes Matt of that speech. Matt Damon should just prepare where he wants the skewer to go. <laughs> yeah. You just have to sit there with a big smile on your face. And I, it'll be interesting to see like if he's just great, if he's lights out, I think the energy will kind of ebb after that. I think people be worn out and almost be like watching crunch time of a basketball game or something, you know? Right. Well, I mean, but here's the thing, like, his being lights out great to us at home. I mean, there's two. I mean, there's great in the room, and then there's great everywhere else, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what his priority should be as a host, right? Yeah. I mean, is he gonna? Is he going to really host this show? Is he gonna come out and like tear the roof off in the monologue, and we won't see him for like another ninety minutes? Right. I don't. This is another thing. I we who I I feel like. He's not going to play to the room, I don't think. I don't think so either. And I, He's going to play to us. Yeah, and, I, and you know, this is why I was so stupid when anybody who thought he should have boycotted, you know, and not, or not done this or pat, like, no. This is the greatest, this is the biggest audience he's ever going to have in his life. This is the biggest platform he's ever going to have. And this is the best chance he's ever going to have to to do what his craft is, to do what he's mm-hmm. the best at, you know? And this yep. is this is it. This is game seven of the finals. So I I I, I almost feel like after that it's gonna be a three hour letdown until we get to uh <laughs> until we get to best picture because we know Leo's winning. We know Brie Larson is winning. Uh best supporting actress I don't even know if anyone cares. None, none of those performances I, I just really feel, well, I mean Supporting actress. Well, let's go through that for a second. Okay. Or do you, were you making a larger point? Can we go into this now? Or are we gonna? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go into okay. it quick because Sly's gonna win. So, best supporting actress is the and director maybe to a lesser degree are the only ones that are a little bit up in the air. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't know. Supporting actress. I mean, it's pretty clear that Alicia Vikander is gonna win. I mean, to the to the to the excitement of lots of men everywhere and and probably and many women too. Uh, I'm just baffled by her, and there are people that we know in our lives who we like a lot who don't understand my bafflement, and <laughs> I, I just don't—I don't get it. I don't get—I mean, she's good in this movie, I will say that, but it's also one of those those situations where the deck is stacked for her because really this is a this is a lead performance that has been jammed into the supporting actress category for whatever yeah. reason. Um, I mean, she's in as much of the movie as, as he is, and she's better than he is in the movie. Um, but I mean, the, the person who I would like to see win is Jennifer Jason Lee, not necessarily for that performance, although she's really good in that, but she's somebody who, well, I'll just leave it at the performance. She should have been nominated and probably, she probably should have won any number of times in the last five years or uh, sorry, five years, 20 years. No chance. Um, no chance because 
the people no vote, the people who vote for this are mostly old people and they got that screener and it was like 17 hours long and there's no way they watched it. <laughs> I, there's I, no chance. I would bet 20% of the Academy actually saw The Hateful Eight. It's a lot, three and a half hours or whatever. What is it? Five, three hours was the final? It's, only, it's less than three hours. Less than three hours. It's too daunting. They, they don't want it. They're too old to fall asleep in the first 20 minutes. And then there's a ton of blood. No way anyone made it through that movie. It, but I mean, yes, you're totally right. She has no chance. But I'm just saying as a person who has loved her for so long and thought that she just was the best actress in America um, or one of the best movie actresses in America. It's crazy that this is her first nomination and she has no chance of winning. Can I just tell you that she showed up in Burnt, which is a whole separate conversation. Oh. She, I think she <laughs> has like two or three scenes. Yeah, yeah. And it's just breathtaking. Yeah. It really is. It's like bre- it's like breathtaking. It's you don't even know what to do. It's like oh my god. Did you see Anomalisa? No. You should see that. She's really good in that. She plays. She's the voice of. She. You'll just. You. Do you know what happens in that movie? Do you know the no. scene? Don't tell me. Oh, you should just see it. I won't say anything. You. Should, it's an animated movie by Charlie Kaufman. Um, he he wrote it and co-directed it, and it's just about a lonely guy who will get on your nerves. But when she shows up, the movie does some really interesting things, and they're just classic. They're things that, despite their being very sort of demure in their way, are classic Jennifer Jason Lee for how out there they are. Right. Um, See, it's stop motion puppets. It's, pe- it's something. People are down on this Oscars. Like, uh, it, it's like, I think this is has a chance to be one of the best Oscars of all time. You have Chris Rock's monologue, which is going to be the most important monologue that's ever happened. You have Sly Stallone. You have <laughs> Leo DiCaprio, who's has been in our lives since he was living with the Growing Pains family in 1989. And we've watched this guy develop and he became the biggest star in the world and made some really interesting choices and... I don't know. I like. I li- I've enjoyed having Leo in my life the last three decades, and I'm excited to see him win. I like him. Uh, whether the Revenant sweeps, whether that director wins back to back directors, uh, yeah. directing Oscars, which, FYI, really hard. How many people have gone back to back with directing Oscars? Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's there's short one list. person that I, I I can't think of who it is. I think it's it, it can only be like one or two people, and now I'm not going to remember who they are. And then Ali- um, and then Alicia Vikander, who is the most beautiful woman in the world, and I don't oh, know if anyone even realizes this. You buried the lead. Go on, defender. <laughs> what do you mean? I she's gonna she's gonna win, and people, the vast majority of people who don't know aren't that familiar with her work are going to be like, oh my God, that woman's beautiful. Why isn't she a bigger star? That's yeah. going to happen. I mean, she did just get here for our purposes. I mean, for, for American movie-going purposes, she just she just arrived. Yeah. So, it, you know, I, it's just crazy to me that she's just, like, come from nowhere and is, I, I don't know. I, I, have, I have nothing to say bad about her. I just feel like she should be in a different category for this prize. And I would rather see... Um, Rachel McAdams or Jennifer Jason Lee or even Kate Winslet, who I thought was fine in Steve Jobs, although I didn't like that movie that Ugh. much. I mean, I know for me, the, for me, it's Jennifer Jason Lee or or Rachel McAdams. And since I know the person that Rachel McAdams is playing, I understand the crazy, the, just the 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 degree of difficulty it is to play her. Right. And as we discussed before, she didn't have to do any of that stuff does it and is really really good 
Do you um, think Mark Ruffalo would have had a better or worse chance of winning if he didn't have the one scene in the uh, in Spotlight um, when it's like, how many people have to die, Robbie? <laughs> or whatever that scene was. But you know that's his Oscar clip. If they're doing clips this year, y- you know that's his clip. You know that in the Ringer offices, Chris Ryan does that speech like once every three days. <laughs> oh, Chris, oh, I can imagine. We got to do something, Robbie. <laughs> It's great. It's so I can't believe they didn't cut it out. How does it? No point in that movie does somebody tell uh, what's the director's name? Tom, Tom McCarthy. Tom McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody just say, hey man, that it's a great. You, you had the right pace, right tone, right everything, but that one scene, man, you gotta. I don't know. Maybe take that one out. You know, Still, it's nominated for best editing too. Just just throwing that out there. So and then, and then by the way, this whole thing's gonna crest with. I could totally see the Revenant not winning. Sal and I just talked about this. The, uh, the, the. I, I, for some reason, I'd keep thinking about the Big Short with the surprise win and just that yeah. how that movie might resonate with the Academy and all those guys and disbelief on the stage. Like it's really hard to get through the Oscars without one surprising thing happening. Yeah. No. I mean, something something interesting is probably going to happen from an from a voting standpoint. Um. Are you excited for go, say the uh, Revenant director's name because you say it better than uh, Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu? Although he's just Inarritu. Alejandro G Inarritu now. You don't have to say Gonzalez. Inarritu. Are you excited for him to gush about how great Ridley Scott is for like five minutes too long during his um, acceptance speech? Is that an option? Yeah, that, I think that's a bet. I think that's a bet that should be on the board. The over oh, under of seconds that Inarritu. We'll gush um, about Ridley Scott and what a, what an inspiration he's been, and can't believe he didn't get nominated. He'll, be, he'll do that oh, whole crazy. thing. Yeah, that's gonna happen. Leo, does Leo cry? What does Leo do? Leo probably, I don't know. He got He's got to keep thinking the the native people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. How politically how politically out there is Leo gonna get? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he definitely he could definitely get crazy if he wants to. This is an Amanda Dobbins corner because um, she's very worried that Brie Larson could get a little Anne Hathaway-ish mm, in the speech. Yeah. And people like Brie Larson now, and it's like she could mess that up with the wrong speech. I also think Leo could mess things up if he's, you know, it's like, all right, Leo, you, you know, you, you've been banging supermodels for 25 years here. You're you're out four nights a week. Like, settle down with the whole how worried you are about everything. Like, you're you're worried about... You know, how many people are behind the red rope with you at four in the morning? Let's be honest. Come on. I mean, there are any number of avenues to go down with what he, if he were really worried, dot, dot, dot. Yes. (laughs) Listen, I like him. I I think his heart's in the right place, but maybe, maybe tone it back like, like 3% on all that stuff with with the life you've led the last 25 years. Right. This is the problem with the movie though, right? I mean, it. It seems like it's headed to doing the thing that he is doing in the speech, but really isn't. Like, it's not at all, it's not really enough for me, a movie about Native Americans. And having seen it now for now three times, um, I just, I just feel like it, 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 it's a kind of missed opportunity in a lot of ways. I feel like Inyaritu could have made the exact same movie it might have been slight. I mean, it wouldn't have had a Leonardo DiCaprio performance, but I mean, just the change in the casting would have would have done something really interesting to me. If this Hugh Glass guy 
is is somebody else. Um, if he isn't Hugh Glass and he is just fully native, I don't know. I don't know what exactly because the movie is politically kind of confused about what it's doing. I totally um, agree. Can I ask you a question? Yes. How bad is the dream sequence the third time? <laughs> I think the things that work less are the I mean the things that didn't work in the first place, which 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 is most for me the ending. Um, the traditional, I mean, is, yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, I guess there's something politically interesting in in, in narratively leaving the the big confrontation to to another party, so that it's not like the thing that he, you know, just chasing the Tom Hardy character for the whole movie um, to get revenge on him is is actually not his revenge. It's it, it that doesn't feel anticlimactic to me, but it also feels kind of cheap. Like, okay, these people who've been on the margins of the movie for the for the last two hours um, now get to sort of reap the you know the you've basically given them their prize and they're going to spare your life because you saved his daughters. Um, I have an important Damon versus Leo converse, uh, question to ask you. Yes. If you switch them in those two movies. We've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, I know. I want to bring it up again. I, it's fascinating. I'll talk about it all day. Um, because I've thought about it since we talked about it. And I think Damon would have been better in The Revenant. That's where I landed. And I don't think Leo would have been as good in The Martian. Which no, makes me well, think, that's for sure. So that makes me think Matt Damon is a better actor. And I, and I have no... I, listen, not a lot of advanced metrics in that analysis, but for those two movies, Matt Damon's better in either movie. I think the thing that we were talking about before was which actor can do the most different stuff. And what what needs to change about a movie's like inherent properties based on who's involved at its center. And if DiCaprio is at the center of the Martian, and this is, this is no shot to DiCaprio, but I'm just going to say you, that all the NASA stuff just disappears. Like Kristen Wiig, Chiwetel Ejiofor, all those guys, they're just gone. And it's just him on Mars by himself right. having a castaway. Yeah. For an hour. Yeah. And I just feel like there's, there is a generosity of spirit with, with Matt Damon that, that DiCaprio isn't really... It's, I'm not going to say it doesn't interest him as an actor, but it, it doesn't... The movies that he chooses don't showcase that. Oh, you're back with Matt Damon. This is great. Yeah, no, You've I... You've forgiven I, Matt look, Damon. <laughs> I'm, yes, I mean, I'm... Look, I'm compartmentalizing is what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh. You know, I mean, I love him, and I and I look Matt Damon to me, and I'm just going to say this because I can say this, um, and you'll understand, and I think all black people and pe- all people of color will understand this. You, you, there's always a person in your life who you really like, who just did some some race oriented thing that you will never forget. And not even like, and I wouldn't even say that what he did was even racist. Yeah. But I mean, there'll just be a moment where like, you'll just remember something he did and just be like, yeah, he did that. You won't think about it all the time. It's not going to change your like commitment to him and in your friendship. It's not going to change your recognition that he is a generally good person. It's just this thing that happened and you know it, you called him on it and you move on. 
that's that's all relationships. But I think that's a particular category of interracial friendship. And look, I've I've met Matt Damon one time a long, long time ago that I barely remember it. But I do feel like as a moviegoer, he is somebody like his his the thing that he does is so that's so effective is he really does. And the reason The Martian was a huge hit was because for like two hours, this guy is your friend who you want to come back to your house. Yeah, you I know? agree. Not a lot of people could have done that. Rondo, and, Rondo is another one that let you down, and you'll never forget. You had a tough year well, for people letting you down. Thing, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a big. But you year. loved Rondo before that happened. Now you now you dislike Rondo. Oh uh, yeah, that, I kind of dislike. Thing. I kind of dislike Rondo after that. I, I I still am amazed that he just got off scot free for that whole thing. Listen, I can't. I cannot compare like what Rondo did to Bill Kennedy versus what what Matt Damon did. Oh no, did no, to no I'm not Brown. comparing those. You know what I mean though. Yeah, I know exactly Jim, what you mean. Well, Rondo, about, Rondo stays yeah. in the doghouse. Right. <laughs> Rondo's there. He's not getting out. He's like Brie Larson in room. He's just in there. He's out. Yep. He's not getting out. He's not getting out. All right, so the give me we have to go. Give me your Chris Rock um all that stuff aside. Give me your movie narrative movie related narrative that comes out of the Oscars on Monday morning. Huh. Or actor-related. Well, your Hollywood-related narrative that has nothing to do with race, Chris Rock, any of that stuff. Just flat-out movie stuff. Uh, Alejandro Iñárritu wins the wins Bechter, Best Director for the second time. I think John Ford is John Ford came to mind while I was thinking, and I think Mankiewicz are the two people, and this was like in the 40s and 50s. Mankiewicz and John Ford are the only two people to win back-to-back. And it really changes the conversation we have to have about Inyaritu. I mean, yeah. It it I mean, he's a, he is a great director. He's got other problems as a director, but talent isn't really one of them. And he managed to make a movie that appeals to I mean, it's a huge hit and it appeals to a lot of people on a sort of fundamental genre picture level. Setting aside the politics, I mean that's a that's a huge deal. He will also be. Now I don't have this at all for sure, but I mean in the last ten years, how many non-American guys have won the directing Oscar? I'm trying um, to think of what the sports equivalent would be. It's almost like like Jordan winning six titles in eight years or something. It's just completely. It's hard to even put in perspective. I mean, when you think of all the great directors we've had. To just make two great movies in two years in a row is almost impossible, and yet to and then to win the Oscar for best directing two years in a row even harder. Yeah, and if he wins, if if if, if it wins picture and director, I mean that is, I mean that's the big feat, right? To like yeah. get the Academy, get voters to not give you like what under the circumstances, because it's ridiculous to call a Best Director Oscar a consolation prize. What would be a consolation prize if, like, say, the big short or spotlight wins Best Picture? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I, I just find that a really fascinating thing to think about. Also, Brie Larson, out of nowhere to me, I mean, maybe to everybody, right? Like, yeah. out of nowhere Oscar winner. Yeah. And who knows In a category that features Charlotte Rampling, Jennifer Lawrence, and Kate Blanchett, and Saoirse Ronan who I think is better in Brooklyn than Brie Larson is in room, but that's just my business. All um, right. Wesley Morris, we'll read you in the New York Times, um, and we'll talk to you 
Okay. On the BS I'll podcast. Talk to you later. And I, happy Oscars. Yeah, happy Oscars. Hope to get to see you in uh, Los Angeles soon. We miss you. All right. I miss you too. All right. I'll see you. Bye. If you're just getting a business started or you're already building a growing business, MailChimp makes it easy to connect with your customers and sell more stuff. It's totally free to get started. No expiring trial. No credit card required. More sophisticated marketers can go with MailChimp Pro, the only email platform with multivariate testing. You can create and test up to eight different email campaigns with an intuitive, easy-to-use interface. Uh, you know who's using MailChimp right now? Me! We used MailChimp to launch our newsletter for The Ringer. Thanks to MailChimp, we've landed over 100,000 subscribers in just eight days. When we start sending newsletters next month, it's going to be with MailChimp. When we start sending you emails about our 20% off t-shirts with my face on them, it's going to be with MailChimp. No, we're not, we're not doing that. I'm kidding. Uh, but thanks to MailChimp for helping me and everyone at The Ringer build our audience. It's been really fun. It's incredibly easy to use. Check them out at MailChimp.com and check our newsletter out at TheRinger.com. We're going to do a little bit of an audible and talk football because um, it's late February and uh, the NFL has never been hotter. No, actually, that's not true. But the Combine's happening, and our old friend Robert Mays from Grantland is at the Combine. Where is the Combine? It's in Indianapolis. It is at Lucas Oil Stadium, where it has been held since this stadium was a place. Uh, it's a very weird event, and I come every year, and it never ceases to be weird. You are the biggest football nerd I know. You, We, we watch football together. We watch one of the playoff games and you made us rewind the tape because of some <laughs> some block that the right guard did. And, and I was like, can we wait to see if they score a touchdown first before I rewind to get your little block pouring in? Uh, but uh, the combine must be like an all-you-can-eat buffet for you. It is in a lot of ways. All the drills and stuff, I don't really care about. Uh, that stuff doesn't have much bearing in my mind. But every single coach talks. Every single GM talks for the most part. All the scouts in the league are just at Indianapolis bars all week. Mm. So really, all you could, all, all this place is, is football conversation for five days if you want it. And it can be as nerdy as you want. It can be as relevant as you want. It's, it really is. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Every option is on the table. So you're just wandering around St. Elmo's with holding like a shrimp cocktail thing, just trying to bump into various scouts from the 32 teams. Is that what you're doing? That's really what this is. Yes, it's not just St. Elmo's. It's also the also, the other steakhouses and the crappy bars that you can't go that no one these guys would never go to these bars if they had any other option. But because it's in Indianapolis, they don't, so they have to be at these places. They're trapped, which makes it perfect. It's the I love the Indianapolis Super Bowl, which happened the first year we were on Grantland. You didn't go to that one, right? No, no I didn't go to that one. Yeah, I'm sorry. You were too young. It's you, all right, we couldn't, you couldn't. Run, I know. You didn't I have the budget at that point. Um, but after, the uh, Seattle. New England one was my first one. I mean, that being my first one, I'll take it. That's great. That's a great first one. Yeah. Uh, but I love the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. I thought it was great. It was almost like going to college and just kind of accepting where you were and making the best of it. And <laughs> that's exactly what it feels. That's like. their strategy. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're here. St. Elmo's is good. Uh, we have some good bars. Uh, you can walk everywhere, and it's like, great. I'm in. This is awesome. And it was a really, really great Super Bowl. There's a hundred hotels and three bars. The board I was at last night 
had like 40 shots on the wall, like different kinds. Like I haven't been to a place like this since I was 19. This is horrifying, but also kind of great. It's the best. It was it was one of my favorite Super Bowl locations. I loved everything about the week. We had an awesome week. We were doing podcasts from the Bud Light Hotel. We went to the Hoosiers gym. Um, I probably gained three pounds. My blood alcohol level was not great. Everyone smoking Didn't they cigarettes. Run out of lettuce? Yeah, they ran. Yeah, they, that's right. I didn't have a vegetable for five days. They didn't offer lettuce anywhere. Uh, I think I started smoking just because everyone else was smoking. I felt left out. And everything crested to my team winning the Super Bowl, and then Brady overthrew Walker, and we lost in the last four minutes, and all the and the, the weekend just went shot to hell. It was terrible. I mean, it sounded like it had a chance to be the greatest week of your life. It was really great. It was way up there. It it really was. It was it was. I think for for Super Bowl trips though, the best one. This this is everyone always asks if we're going to do a Grantland oral history. The oral history I want to do is the New Orleans Super Bowl, when uh which was the, the Baltimore San Francisco one, but that was house eats three. And it was just, it was just, my body's never been the same after that. You know, it was almost well, it wasn't like just late night casino trips. <laughs> yeah. You down constantly. You know, when you read about Kellen Winslow and that, in that play the double overtime playoff game in Miami, when they had to carry him off the field, he's basically like, I was never the same after that game. That's how I feel about the new Orleans week. Just never the same. I mean, I gave my Jacoby's best probably 40% responsible for that. That's when Jacoby had his alter ego, BB, that was created at, at the Harris Casino when he turned into a 1930s jazz guitarist for some reason. We're still trying to figure it out. But uh, I loved Indianapolis. I think, would I, it sounds like I would like the combine. Is, is, am I crazy uh, to in, think that? In what sense? I mean, I think you'd like it in the scene outside of the combine. I that's what I would like. like. To come to the stadium every day. Yeah. But it sounds I mean, like the kind of place. really cool. It sounds like the kind of place you would just bump into Trent Dilfer at some weird bar and you'd end up talking to him for an hour. Like, I like that stuff. That's exactly what it is. I mean, yeah. that's literally what it is. It's it's the NFL spring break. Right. Everyone associated with the league is here and they're drinking. I mean, that's what it is. And you really can, you're in proximity to everybody. I mean, last year I was at a bar at the Westin and Belichick was there. He's just sitting there. I mean, that's what this place is. What was it's he wearing? As, I can't remember. Uh, what do you mean nothing. you can't remember? That's like, was he wearing like his hoodie or was he like dressed like a normal person? I think he was wearing like a terrible button down and some weird khakis. It sounds right, but I don't. It wasn't. It was nondescript enough for me to not remember. I think Belichick's uh, terrible dressing during football games and practices has to extend to his real life. Would be my guess. Yeah, right? of course. Also, the bar for football coaches and dressing is very low. <laughs> Outside of Les Snead and Thomas Dimitrov, everyone at this place is dressed like homeless person. Who was the guy in the Niners? Mike Nolan? The guy who's like tried to bring back the 1930s dress code on the sidelines and he, he went like 5-30? and 30? Well, they had to make him a Reebok suit. Remember that? Because yeah. it had to be NFL sanctioned, so Reebok had to make him a suit. I think Del Rio did that once, too. It didn't turn out well for either of them. The, the Reebok suit is never... Is never a good idea. All right, key question: what are what are people talking about at these combines? Because there's always like, what's what's in the football zeitgeist right now? Is it who's going to be number one? Is it going to be what's going to happen with uh, Kaepernick and Chip Kelly? Like, what are people talking about? Kaepernick and Chip Kelly was a big question early in the week. I think that the 49ers threw some water on that when Trent Baalke came on and said well, he's going to be on the roster and he's going to compete for the job. So. That was the question, whether they were going to cut him, because I think they owed him $13 million if they didn't release him by April 1st. Yeah. So that's over. Now, after that kind of went away, 
it became the quarterbacks. So yesterday is when the quarterbacks came to the podium, Carson Wentz and um, Jared Goff. So because Tennessee has a quarterback and they have the number one pick, it now is really a matter of what Cleveland is going to do. So if Cleveland's going to take Goff or Wentz, and then there's also the thing with Cleveland where their entire organization just hit the reset button. So they have a 39-year-old GM who's <laughs> never evaluated. That happens every year. They, they hit the reset hey, button this, every year. But this is the weirdest one. This is easily the weirdest one. Hugh Jackson is their head coach. They have a 39-year-old guy who used to organize do contracts that is now the head of their personnel department. Yeah. They have a 28-year-old head of personnel. Like their their head scout is 28. Yeah. And Paul DePodesta works there. Baseball it's guy. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's never worked in football professionally. He played football at Harvard. but So that's the thing. Is They're a fascinating organization. They have the second overall pick, and they need a quarterback. And there are two guys in this draft that they could theoretically take. So yesterday, the big conversation was all about if uh, Jared Goff's hands were big enough. That's the sort of bullshit that happens here. Uh, I, who had small hands? Drew, Drew Brees? I, I want to say that maybe one of those guys did. It's Drew more Brees did. the smaller guys who have big hands. Yeah, like Manziel's hands were huge, and Russell Wilson's hands were huge. That's been the joke all week. John Elway came up yesterday and said, "I measured my hands this week because I had no idea how big they were." No, no one cares. Yeah, it only matters if you can't grip the ball in cold weather because you have little tiny little person hands, which doesn't yeah, isn't going to really that, be a factor. Well, no, you, he has you, like nine inch hands. I think he'll be fine. You know how I evaluate quarterbacks. First of all, are, are you handsome? Is the number one yep. thing. Very for eighty to ninety percent of the time, the handsome quarterback is just he just lives his life a certain way from like age eleven. He's just a man. His girls like him. He's confident. He's good at good at playing quarterback, and it just it, that confidence and charisma just keeps translating. With very few exceptions, one of whom, of course, is Peyton Manning. Sorry, Peyton. Um, but I would look at that. I would look at, I think, size and mobility. So who has the size mobility out of all these candidates? Wentz. Wentz is the guy with the mobility. Golf is tall. Golf is like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, but he's a little on the skinnier side. Tough Wentz track is record. A, like, it, Wentz is a full 6'5", and like 235, and he moves. So that's the thing. But that's what I the want. other side of it with him. He's he's got all that, and apparently he's just uber confident. Is he like, handsome? Just tell you, I'm the best player in this draft. He's not handsome. He's got that Andy Dalton syndrome with the oh, red hair and right. the kind of Cooper that, look to him. That's a red flag. Yeah, but apparently he just takes over any situation he's in. He's just the man when he gets there. Ooh, and he just is. He has ownership of that stuff. Like just incredible leader, that kind of guy. Oh. but golf is like the natural. Like golf was was the best from the time he was a little kid. He's always been that dude. Yeah, his dad was a pitcher, but he never had him pitch because he knew from such a young age that he was a natural football thrower. They didn't want to screw up his football. Like that's how good he was that young. His dad just knew. Wentz was a super late bloomer. He was five seven his freshman year of high school. All right, so I know nothing. I've never seen tape on either of these guys, and I don't really watch college football. From what you just laid out, I would rather take Wentz because. He's had to fight for it his whole life. Goff's just, totally. just been handed it to him. He's been he's been great at everything. Doesn't really have to work hard. It sounds like he'd almost be better off if he wasn't taken. If if Wentz was taken ahead of him, and for the first time, Goff was kind of like, "Oh wow, now now I, I've been insulted. I have to work harder." That's true. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I may think 
with those two specifically, he's definitely more in that camp. He went to Cal. You know, it's not like he went to Alabama and started from day one. He did start from day one at Cal. I mean, I guess that's the thing. He was the first true freshman to start at Cal in like 30 years or something like that. This so is the most interesting part of this whole thing, though. Yeah. They're working out together. Wow. So somebody's trying to they mess with somebody's agent, head. And they're working out together. So the best thing that could happen to Ben Simmons is if Ingram goes ahead of him in the NBA draft. Totally. He'll he'll be one of the best twenty players ever if that happens. He'll be so insulted. He'll take that so personally. He will lock himself in a gym and shoot fifty thousand jumpers a day until he has a twenty footer. And well, maybe Durant syndrome, right? Yeah, that was the Odin going ahead of Durant was awesome for Durant. Bowie going ahead of Jordan was awesome for Jordan. Isaiah Thomas getting traded for nothing from Phoenix to the Celtics. I mean, it's always great when that happens. Stephen Curry. Well, so there's two things being underpaid. I- well, yeah, that part of it. But there's the, there's two things with this, though. None, neither of them are going to be the number one pick. Right. That's just not going to happen. So that's not going to happen. And also, I think the factor of going to Cleveland, you're automatically downtrodden if you go to Cleveland. So there's a ton of motivation there. If you could be the guy that resurrected the Browns, I think that that adds another wrench to this. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, what, what if you are the number one drafted quarterback, but that's where you have to go and live your life? I mean, how many quarterbacks have they chewed up and spit out there? So and I think it, going into that coasting, I'm not sure anybody's going to do that. So who is the number one pick? Who's the number one pick? Yeah. Probably Laramie Tunsil, the tackle from Ole Miss. That's the chatter right now. There's a couple guys defensively can maybe hop up there. Joey Bosa, the kid from Ohio State, is really good. But if you're Tennessee, you have Mariota. You already have one good left tackle or one good tackle in Luan. Getting another one just to protect your investment would make sense, but I don't have any idea what that franchise is doing half the time, so maybe they'll go in a totally different direction. Well, when they hired Mike Malarkey, I think that was a signed-sealed confession that they have no idea what they're doing. Um, I just On every single level, it doesn't make any sense. Apparently, the guy they hired to be their personnel guy, though, is really good. He was in New England forever, and then he was just in Tampa Bay for a couple years working under Jason Light, and he's really well-respected, so... At least that's a step in the right direction, but the Milwaukee thing will never make sense to me. Can I make a? I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to be right because I'm always right with the NFL draft, even though I follow it about as little as anyone who loves the NFL. The, a quarterback's going first. We always go through this dance, and it's like, oh, Cleveland's just—they're going to wait. And it's what's going to happen is one of these teams underneath Cleveland is going to make a big push to try to trade up to number one, and then to try to take the to pick the guy that Cleveland probably likes and Cleveland's going to panic and they're going to do something stupid and they're going to trade up from two to one because it's total smoke screen by Tennessee. And they'll end up giving like a first round pick two years from now, along with the number two pick and Tennessee will end up taking the guy they were going to take anyway at number two. That's how this is going to play out. That hasn't happened in a long time though. I mean, it's been a while since somebody traded for the number one pick. It's much easier now because with the new CBA, it's not that much of a detriment to have the number one pick. But the other thing is, how many teams need a quarterback that badly? Um, I'm looking at the top ten. Many. I'm looking at the top ten right now. Why wouldn't the Niners trade up from seven to one? Oh man, that's a (laughs) that's a big move. I don't know. I think they have two quarterbacks, and they're paying them. One of them, they're paying one of them thirteen million dollars. I think they write it out with Kaepernick for a year. That's my gut feeling. Hey Tate, but outside of Tate, watch this. Maze is going to have a conniption. Um, 
why wouldn't the Bears trade up from 11 to 1 to finally get a real quarterback? I don't know why you think I have a conniption with that. That doesn't super <laughs> upset me. I just don't, how much you have to give up? I don't, I think they'll be bad enough this year that maybe they can get back in the top 10 and just pick them next year. I'm fine with color for one more year. I'm okay with it. Even though Adam Gase is gone now and it's all going to go to shit again. Yeah, that is, see, that's why you can't trade Cutler though, right? You're stuck with him cap wise. Yeah, I think they're stuck with him this year, which is fine with me. I don't mind paying him this year. Last year was the year that was really bad. And they have so they have so much cap room right now, and they have so little else on their roster when it comes to veterans. Yeah, it doesn't matter that you're paying color that much money. They have like sixty million dollars in cap room. They're paying no one else, and I'm pretty sure they're going to cut Martellus Bennett. So at that point, you have no veterans on your roster. So who cares if you're paying color? Sounds sounds like a great situation for him. The one offensive coordinator yeah. who resonated with him and no weapons at all, and and uh, and a team in flex. He'll do awesome. That's they about- really. I, Fox was talking about it this week. They've set the reset button so incredibly hard. There are no players on the team. Every single guy is like a seventh-round, fifth-round pick from the last four years. It's amazing. There are no NFL players left. Matt Forte is gone now. Unless they sign Alshon Jeffrey, it's kind of over. San Diego is picking third, and we don't even know where they're playing next year. I think they're going to be in San Diego, which is one of the 17 worst ideas in the history of mankind. Um why wouldn't they? Is there how bad are the cap ramifications for trading Rivers right now? I think it's pretty bad. I mean, his contract is relatively new, so they would get dinged really hard. I don't think they want to do that. They just brought him back. But the, what I would say is, what if they drafted a quarterback? Yeah. What Phil if they Rivers did? Is very old. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and you already saw what happened with him. He sat behind Breeze. It wasn't a bad situation. You have a new guy if you move to L.A. two years from now and Fit Rivers doesn't want to go. I just think that you're not going very far right now if you're San Diego. You have way too many holes. Why not say, all right, we'll wait a year, let this kid sit for a year or two, and then figure it out later. I don't think that's a bad idea. You lived in Los Angeles. You're moving back to Los Angeles. You know what Los Angeles likes? Stars. Like I think exactly. they'd, be, I mean, they'd be crazy not to take a quarterback. It's not like they're going to win the Super Bowl next year. Take a quarterback, let Rivers groom him for two years, and then you're in a position, you're in L.A., and you might have a face of the franchise. I mean, they're going to need one, especially if the Rams are going to be kind of – it's going to be a Lakers-Clippers situation with the Rams and the Chargers if they both end up here, I think. Because there's a – the more I've talked to people, there are a lot of over 40 Rams fans, and they're going to rope their kids into being Rams fans. And I actually think the Rams are going to succeed a little bit more – coming out of the gate than people realize. And the Chargers are going to be the stepbrother Clippers. So they need The thing with the Rams is they already have stars. They have two stars on their team. Yeah, They have Aaron Donald and Todd Gurley. And that matters because even though Phillip Rivers is really, really good, Phillip Rivers doesn't resonate like that, especially with young people. I mean, you're not excited to go watch Phillip Rivers play. You're excited to watch Todd Gurley play. So that's the thing that the Rams have. The problem with them is they are so staunchly opposed to going after a quarterback Les Snead yesterday, the GM, explained away why they're not going to draft one by saying you need your defense to be good to win games, which is him just convincing himself that Case Keenum is a real thing. Oh, no. Yeah, it was not fun. You know I, who's I can't not imagine a, a Rams fan listening to that. You know who's not a real thing? Case Keenum. That doesn't work. He, he, he was talking about how they went 3-1 and one in their last four games because Case brought them some stability at the quarterback position. It was very hard to listen to.
I'm really excited for the Chargers to move to LA because I can't wait to see how Philip Rivers handles the schooling thing. It's very hard to find the right schools for your kids, and he has eight already, and he's probably going to have a couple more. And I want—I really want to know if he's going to go public or private. Because with eight kids, I, like, have, hey, I think I you go public. I'm going to LA. Oh, you think he's going to live? I, well, he's going to have to live somewhere. I can't, I don't. If they move to LA, I don't think he's going to come. Whoa! What was that? Oh, it's they're, they're, they announced players on the PA here. I was I thought I was in a, a spot where it wasn't going to no, happen. No, that was cool because people might have thought you were like in your basement pretending you're in Indianapolis. See, you're actually there. No, I am not. I'm really here. What do they announce? What do they say? Like now running the 40-yard dash, Bill Barnwell. No, no, no. No, it's uh, they when the players come to the podium for interviews, they announce like which players are coming into the room. Oh, that sounds riveting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic time. Barnwell's there, right? He is here, yes. I believe he actually came to the stadium today, which that's not really his scene. But I was going to say, today. I'm stunned. The Barnwell was never a big I'm going to the location guy. And now he's at the combine going to things. Yeah. I mean, he was. it's a big week for him just in terms of you know chatting with people and everything else. The same reason it is for everybody. Yeah. But he, uh, he doesn't see much value in the actually coming here, which, to be fair, if you're not reporting stories on these guys, there isn't much value. It sounds like... If there was an NBA version of this, it would be the greatest week of Zach Lowe's life. This is everything Zach Lowe has ever wanted. This is why Zach Lowe goes to the Summer League, just to that's for the networking. This is. Yeah. this is the NBA Summer League. Yeah. yeah. that's It's exactly why Zach likes that, is why people like this. It's the same thing. Mm. How are things going at Sports Illustrated? Going well, man. I mean, it's uh, it's been really fun. I think I've gotten to do some some cool stuff. I love this time of year, just because you get to press pause a little bit and chase some fun stories, which I'm in the process of doing. So, yeah, I think they've let me do a lot of things I like to do, and it's been a good time. I've really enjoyed it. I really appreciate the fact that they let me come because, you know, when Grandland ended, there was there was some questions, you know. It wasn't all certainty, and uh, it's been really nice. Well, at least they gave everybody no heads up whatsoever to figure out what to do next. Um, who well, do they you... gave me two hours. It was pretty yeah, two hours solid. is solid, yeah, I guess. Bad. Who do you like more, me or Peter King? Get out of here. <laughs> uh, good. I'm, I'm glad that one came down the pipe. Uh, Robert Mays, you can follow him. Are you tweeting from the combine? You must be, right? I'm tweeting a little bit, not a ton of stuff, but you, I'm, can, I'm on Twitter. Can you put one one photo of Barnwell up there on uh, on Twitter or Instagram or something, and in, in some sort of combiney type of situation, just for, for my I, own enjoyment? I'll try to track him down. Yes. All right, please do. And what is it? It's it's not real Robert Mays anymore on Twitter. It's just Robert Mays, right? Just at Robert Mays. I'm a real person now. At Robert Mays. Congratulations on locking that one down. Good talking to you. Uh, I will see you when you're in Los Angeles. Enjoy the rest of the uh, week in Indianapolis. Thanks, buddy. All right. Talk to you soon. That's it for the BS Podcast this week. That was a fun one. Uh, thanks to MailChimp. They make it easy to connect with customers and sell more stuff. Free to get started. No expiring trial. No credit card required. They helped us collect over 100,000 subscribers for The Ringer's new newsletter in less than eight days. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Subscribe to our newsletter that we're making with their help at TheRinger.com. It's incredibly easy to use. Again, that's MailChimp.com. Thanks to Slender Tone Connect Abs, the smart fitness device that tones and tightens your abs, creates your personal toning plan, tracks workouts, sends customized tips to keep you motivated. You'll have firmer, more toned abs within six weeks. Visit slendertone.com. Receive 20% off using BS at checkout. 
Thanks to HBO Now, you don't need cable or satellite to watch HBO anymore. Download the HBO Now app and start your free one-month trial today. I was there in the offices yesterday. I love HBO. They're the best. Uh, thanks to SeatGeek, the presenting sponsor of the Bill Simmons Podcast and Channel 33. Thanks to FrameBridge.com, who framed a bunch of posters for me. Uh, please go there because they're awesome and they did a great job. And I, I put a bunch of them in my office. Although I, I'm going to give them a bigger plug next week, but they were very nice. Uh, don't forget to follow The Ringer on Twitter, at Ringer. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at The Ringer. Dot com. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the Oscars. See you next week. We about this bitch. Anytime y'all want to see me again, rewind this track right here. Close your eyes. And picture me rolling.